Hello everyone and welcome to Primrose Light. You're here with me, Roshni, and today I'm really, really excited to be speaking about all things fashion. In fact, I'm quite stunned. It's taken me quite so long to come and do a podcast on this very topic, given I'm known to be a bit of a glamour puss, but I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by Ekta from Ekta uh, Fashions, and we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, Ekta in just a moment. But just to cover off what we're going to speak about in this podcast, we're going to be speaking about all things fashion, as I said, um, where does Ekta draw her inspiration from? How is it as life as an entrepreneur? Ekta is based out in South Africa, so we're going to speak about the opportunities and challenges that perhaps she's encountered in her career to date. We're also going to speak um, about life as an entrepreneur and the challenges and the journey that there is uh, that, that, that comes with that. And we're also going to speak about fast fashion versus sustainability, um, which is, I think, a topic growing in increasing prominence. So to introduce Ekta properly, Ekta means unity in Sanskrit, and she launched a contemporary luxury women's wear label in September 2016. Uh, and her name is Ekta Kalan. She was a former strategy consultant turned entrepreneur. And she's really forged a unity amongst the designer's rich cultural Indian heritage and her South African life together with architectural and simplistic design. Her brand has really become known for its unique use of colour, prints and clean lines. Ekta uses very clean lines together with ancient embroidery and craft techniques with the vivid use of colours and prints into her contemporary wear. And the brand produces uh, two uh, sort of trans-seasonal um, seasons throughout the year uh, her, her her seasonal range promotes long-lasting fashions uh, with the, with sort of a showcase on these really unique pieces and she's really a big advocate of sustainability and producing ethical fashion uh, using natural fabrics and she has a lovely brand motto which I really liked uh, which is we are one and Ekta hopes to drive a movement of unity through storytelling of collections and her clothing through positivity and cultural awareness um, so really, I think it will be great to sort of launch straight into into it. I'm, I'm really pleased that Suniti kindly introduced us and that you're here today and we're speaking about all things fashion. Tell us about your journey into the fashion industry. Obviously, it wasn't the first career that you embarked upon. Talk to us a little bit about how this love of fashion even came about for you. Um, was it from childhood or, or, or where did it start? Okay. First of all, hi, Roshni, and thank you so much for having me on this podcast. Um, I'm really excited to tell you about my story and honored as well. And hello to all the listeners that are listening to this podcast. Um, yeah, just to tell you a little bit about my, my journey, um, I think as a child, I was always a very creative person. Um, I loved color, drawing, art, I think, which is not a very, uh, which is a common factor amongst all kids and children. Our imaginations are, you know, it's, it's the start of where, you know, all things wonderful begin. And I think with myself, it just stayed with me growing up as a teenager and adult. And um, it was just something I always loved to do was just design. I loved design, whether it was, um, you know, looking at a great building or a piece of furniture, anything, anything that just for me, I found just aesthetically appealing in terms of design. And um, I think as a teenager, just looking at when I was like, you know, when we're 
shop and you know buy clothes for yourself and that's also where you're forming your own identity when you're going through that stage is um i could never find things that i truly truly liked for myself and um i think that's where the big inspiration for i, I knew i wanted to be somewhere as a designer and um so when i finished um finished high school which is 12th grade in in South Africa, and then you go on to university. Um, I knew that I wanted to be a fashion designer, but I came from a very uh, uh, stereotypical Indian uh, family home, which I think I'm sure most um, most Indian people probably um, get this, is where your parents want you to study a real solid degree. And the idea of a real solid degree is either doctor, accountant, lawyer, or something which they feel is um, going to take you far and be financially stable in the future and secure. And um, so the same thing with me, um, when I told my folks I wanted to be a fashion designer, I think they didn't have much knowledge on it. And there also there was a fear factor of how, how far can um, something creative within, especially South Africa, um, take you on a, in your career. So I actually went on and did a business science in finance um, and investments and at the University of Cape Town. And then from there, I landed up working in one year in private banking at one of our banks in SA. And then another year, I went into management and strategy consulting at Deloitte. So, but while, you know, working, I always then still had this inkling at the back of my um, mind that I still want to design. I would still look at fashion shows on TV and um, feel like, oh, I wish I was doing this. And I think by that time I was like, okay, um, maybe I should need to take this leap of faith and see if I can go study fashion. And by that time, my family were like 110% supportive of me. And I went back to being a student again because um, they, there was no like online courses or part-time courses available and um, that was around like 2010, 2009 and it wasn't um, like YouTube is amazing now. I mean YouTube was still available then but now you can almost self-teach yourself any skill that you want if you can find it online and so I did then a Bachelor of Arts in Fashion Design and then after that, I still found it quite tricky and difficult um, after graduating in South Africa. And I think um, Roshni and I will elaborate on this further is like um, within the South African industry, we do not have huge design houses like what you get in Europe and the UK, where there's a LVMH equivalent or, you know, a huge design house that you could go and serve um, internship for and then, you know, build your way through the company. So the best way was either you would become an entrepreneur and, you know, become a fashion uh, independent label, or you would um, go and work for a big department store retailer as a fashion buyer or a planner, so to speak, although um, it's a good job, there's very little creative input. So, um, 
So, yeah, so my great career journey is a very windy, windy one up and down. So I actually went back to my old job at Deloitte in management consulting, and I worked there for another um, two and a half years um, while slowly building my fashion label on the side. So I started off with like a few silk shirts and then tested it with family and friends and then just... So how did it, how was the reciprocation of it? And I think that was all just confidence building, so to speak. Um, and I was just fortunate also at my job, um, my current workplace, everyone knew my dreams and aspirations. So um, they were very supportive of it, knowing that my career journey there was never going to be um, permanent. But um, it, it gave me the good stepping stones to, build my confidence and, you know, have a little bit of strategic thinking in terms of the day I open up my own business, how I would go about doing it. So yeah, that's been the journey. And then I finally left my corporate job and started this full time. And it's, yeah, that's where I am right now, Fantastic. four years later, four and a half years later. Fantastic. And it, you're right, it has been a, a windy, windy one, but I guess few of us sort of just go on a straight line. It's often full of sort of twists and turns and unexpected uh, things sort of cropping up in the way. And we call that life, don't we? So, I mean, thank you for, yes. for sort of sharing that with us. But I'm I'm fascinated. I mean, there's lots to unpack here, but, but something that as you were speaking... Uh, sort of struck me you said you know you went to Deloitte then you left then you came back but you've been quite vocal and everyone knew your aspirations there that must have been that's quite hard right for an employer to know well actually you're probably just going to leave again you're just sort of here for a short time how did they how did they take to that you were obviously quite candid with them but I uh, Um, I think you know what when I actually went back on the first job when I went back for my second interview, when I went back the second time, they knew already that had, I had studied fashion. I mean, it was on my resume and yes. in the job interview. And um, I think the best thing you can always do is be 100% authentic. That's always been my motto in life. And it's it's got me very far. So even in my interview, I was very honest to say that I studied fashion design and um, I'm, I'm struggling to just start up my own business. So that's why I'm coming back to you. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> you guys so there was no I didn't fluff it up and say oh actually I thought consulting is so fantastic and I made a huge mistake going to study um you know um fashion design I was quite uh, I was very honest in terms of why I was coming back and um I think I was just fortunate that the environment and the team that I worked with um they were all um how do you say they were all um, supportive. I'm not articulating this very well, yeah. but I think it was all um, when you would actually have the conversations with work colleagues, they would say the same thing that, you know what, I'm happy that I, you know, they were content with their jobs, but they were like, I do have another passion or I don't have the courage that you did to go and just leave and come back again or so to speak. So even even my own director could empathize with me of why I was there and what I was doing. Mm. And on their side, they tried to find best what they could creative projects for me. But I mean, in the industry, there was very little creative um, projects. So it was a lot of process management. And I 
I think also having always a positive attitude in whatever you do makes a huge difference. So even when I was there, um, I just gave my my 100% into what I was doing. I mean, without tooting my own horn or whatever yeah, the yeah, case yeah. may be. But I think when, when there's a lot of empathy with the people that you work with, it gets rewarded back at the same Definitely. time. So when I finally went to my director and I one day knocked on his office, it was the beginning of the new new year after everyone had got back from um, Christmas holidays and uh, in January and, you, and then he's like, I know why you're coming into my office and I don't want you in my office for this reason. And then I said, well, well if it makes everything feel better, I'm not going to a competitor or something like that. I'm, I'm leaving to, you know, and there was full encouragement, like, for wishing me, wishing me success. And actually, to this date, I still keep in touch with That's everyone. Right. And now I just realized I rambled on our... No, but, you know, I'm, I'm just curious. When you, there was so much you've said, and, and I will try my best to unpack it throughout the, the podcast. But that point sort of struck me because I guess people often talk about sort of keeping their, clo- their, their uh, cards quite close to their chest. But actually what you said was you were very truthful, very authentic, and it actually did sort of serve and and pay you off. But I think it's also a huge testament to the lovely group of people that you were fortunate to work around, who perhaps appreciated that you had tried and, you know, gave you 100%, but that you had a calling. And and I'm going to ask you sort of about that. And my next question is to that calling, what that meant to you. But um, I think it's it's, it's a credit to to both parties involved, um, and that you nice you nicely very you know very nicely keep in touch with them now um but mm. but tell us i mean obviously this calling you you gave corporate the corporate hustle uh, a go this calling obviously was speaking out to you it's not easy obviously to have graduated to sort of start a working career and then you know transition back into education obviously you were very lucky to have the support of your family and friends but it's certainly not an easy um sort of step to make you, you perhaps in some senses did you ever feel like you were going backwards to sort of make a forward step or or what kind of pushed you and propelled oh, you to sort of um realize your calling 100 percent. i mean there's there's there were so many times where i questioned myself um to why you know like am i doing the right making the right decision and um i realized the biggest mistake people one can make is comparison because i would start comparing myself to my peer group or my childhood friends that i um, grew up with and i would see them slowly building their careers and you know progressing and yes here's myself that went back back to university um back to being a graduate and you know like almost going backwards to like what you said going backwards to go forwards and um so there was a lot of that uh questioning and um i would even meet people and be like oh you're so brave and some of them would say brave like they you they almost like you're so stupid but they wouldn't say it but you could see that look on their face like not stupid but like you're a bit like crazy yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah, you know like are you sure you know what you're doing so to speak and um i think it's just having that self-belief in what you're doing and where you're going to and even those years when i was at corporate that three and a half years before i left but what kept me going was my end goal of what I wanted to do. So, um, you know, like some people would say, oh, wasn't it disheartening going to corporate? 
um, after studying fashion and not, but it was always having that future long-term goal at the end of, at the back of your mind and how currently how it was going to serve its purpose for the future. So um, it's a lot of mindset thinking and I think I have to talk myself through it a lot. I still have days when I question myself um, um, of what I'm doing, but I think it's building that mental strength. And I think um, that's where the spiritual aspect in my life comes in very strongly. It's like, I think um, I've grown spiritually a lot as a result of this journey because um, you have to build your inner self and your inner worlds to get the outer world. Absolutely. to reflect what you want to see yes absolutely yeah. beautiful and you're right that comparison is the thief of joy and I guess if you're running your own race and I'm sure you you felt a real spark whilst you were sort of being creative like you were saying that feeling of when you were a child that came so naturally to you to sort of play with colors and fabrics and and I guess you probably might have felt more alive than you ever would have done so it's great that you've channeled that but you've also alongside that had some spiritual learning so so talk to us about that I mean it's obviously it sounds like it really has been quite a journey for you and I'm sure it will continue to be a journey for you because that is what life is but but yeah. but talk to us about perhaps some of the realizations perhaps the spiritual realizations that you had um as you were traveling down that path where you moved backwards to go forwards um so I think a lot of it was you know you learn so much about um I mean it, so many circumstances and that teach you so much about yourself whether it's environment people etc but um i think with what i have learned a lot with my entrepreneurial journey is that you really break your ego down to such an extent completely because there are days when you have to actually ask yourself um which i found for me is who am i without without all this external um, um, things that define me, like what really truly defines me, the person, um, if I have no, you know, status, so to speak, uh, or if I don't have the high earning income that um, maybe um, people in my social environment, um, what truly makes me, um, what's the words, I'm not, um, what truly makes me so valuable um, in this world that without all those exteriors, um, what makes me so great? So I think that's been the greatest spiritual teaching for me is, um, I think once you realize that kind of worth from inner, your inner self, then all these other external factors, of course they are important. I'm not saying they're not because I'm not some yogi living in the Himalayas, but um, it's to almost practice that, that spiritual life within having, um, you know, living in with a material life and purpose and all these other desires that one um, has. So that's been a lot of teachings for me. And I think it's humbled me a lot. I think a lot of my failures, uh, well, I shouldn't call them failures, but learnings have really taught me um, a lot about myself and and I think if I was in corporate, I I don't think I would have had the same um, um, humbleness that 
you know, comes with having your own business, so to speak. Definitely. But I don't sound humble saying this, but yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> and, and I mean, it's partly an opportunity, I guess, for you to showcase. But actually, the fact that you've sort of brought in spirituality sort of shows it is at the the sort of forefront of you as a person, but also in your business, which which we'll obviously go on and talk about uh, in, a, in a little bit more detail a bit later on. But you're absolutely right. I think it's this self-unfoldment, isn't it, of uh, sort of realising that your essence is sort of one with nature and we put so many layers on top. I am this, I am this, I am this, I am that. Uh, look how great I am. But actually, if we just add our bare bones, strip it back, we're all one and the same. And that's part of consciousness. So I think that's really beautiful. Um, so tell us a little bit about entrepreneurship. Obviously, you alluded to not failings, but learnings um, along your journey. I mean, how is business in, in South Africa? Obviously, obviously, you're a young woman. Um, sort of setting up your own independent fashion line how how talk to us a bit about how that journey unfolded for you what did you do to get that business set up was it difficult talk to us a bit about that um so you know in some ways it's it has been difficult um but i think it's also um i think with anything it, it, it comes with its pros and cons um so for for me like um, when I just started up my business, I think because I had the professional backing um, experience from my previous job, yes. so it gave me the it gave me the Tools, you know the, yeah. a little bit more insight into mm. running a business, as well as I was able to self fund my self fund my own business, which I think a lot of new business owners. Um, you know, struggled with struggle with funding issues. Um, you know, in getting up um, their businesses funded, and in SA, it's like um, uh, I don't know how to describe it. Like we we're not really good in terms of funding new new startups, like the way the US is, and I assume UK in terms yes. of venture capitalism yes. and um, you know crowdfunding and all of that. So we do sit a little bit on the disadvantage factor, but there's also the advantage factor is where um, people of previously disadvantaged backgrounds, people of color, do get also government funding if they are going to do some form of job creation that's going to be beneficial to to the economy. So um, I think sometimes we, as South Africans, we like to complain sometimes that we don't have maybe the benefits of what um, developed countries have. But at the same time, we do have other advantage factors, which makes, um, which I think developed countries struggle a little bit because we have very easy market entry. Um, I think. Uh, I mean, I'm saying this based on my own experience. I'm not an expert research. No, no, no. <laughs> on, on this is your experience but, and it's your account. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, but in starting up your own business in SA, it becomes, it is slightly sort of to say easier because our markets aren't so saturated the way developed countries are. Sure. So yeah, I started my business as a online store initially and um, what I was finding though that in South Africa at that time it was end of 2016 beginning of 2017 um, online shopping it was still very new to to um, new to us compared to 
I when I would speak to friends and colleagues abroad where um, for the adaptation to online shopping for them was very quick from mail order purchase, um, having mail order shopping, moving straight to online shopping, whereas essay we never had really that. So online shopping worked in works in essay, but people were sl uh, slow developers. And when they would make purchases, it was um, purchases that they would um, be happy to on small, small amounts so that if the say the item never arrived, it wouldn't be like a big loss factor. Under. So um, that was a little bit of a initial struggle. So we would have a lot of like pop ups, like in the um, in our main malls, and then people got to feel and touch the clothes, and that gave them trust factor and confidence in shopping shopping online. But there was still that brick and mortar um, mentality um, in SA, where going to you still want to go to a boutique and still feel and touch clothing, especially when it's on a higher higher level um, price point. So we did a lot of pop-ups and then we saw where we did well or didn't do well, which areas we were good, not learning, especially a lot about my customer because I had a image in my mind of who my customer was, but you only really truly know who your customer is, is when through testing with the them and yeah, seeing what they like and what they don't like. And sometimes things which they like are not always things I, I would have yes. assumed that yes. they actually did like. And yeah, so that's been um, the journey. And then in 2018, I opened my first boutique, physical store. And that was really good because it also built brand equity for the brand that people had a trust factor and they would, you know, um, now had a place to come and shop. And yeah, end of 2019, we had to close our store. So uh, yeah, part of life um, um, because we found that um, a lot of my customers were coming from social media and not so much the location where we were based. So it was either move to a better location or um, take a step back. And a gut feel just told me rather take a step back than move to a better location, which turned out to be a blessing in disguise because in 2020 COVID happened. And yeah, that's where we where we are right now. Yes, no, absolutely. I mean, before we go, sort of go on to talk about sort of 2019 and 2020 and sort of the online mm -hmm. um, sort of shift that you had in your business, I'm really curious to understand from you, to you, what is fashion? What does that mean to you? Um, sure. For me, uh, I think fashion is an expression of yourself to, to speak, a way to just dress up that inner that inner light that's in you and a way of showing it to the world for that's my definition definition of fashion so it's not so much even what's trending or what's um you know what what's the yeah the latest trend so to speak but how how do you dress your personality in such a way that when you walk into a room people can immediately identify or get some familiarity of maybe who you might be or who you are so that's Absolutely. what fashion is to me and yeah. i i would probably give a similar definition in fact you mentioned trendy carl lagerfeld says that trendy is the last stage before tacky um but actually i think <laughs> uh, which is quite a, a harsh but but perhaps uh perhaps it's slightly controversial i don't know but but i agree with you i think style is a way to say who you are without having to speak 
uh, and that's a nice quote by by Rachel Zoe it's an extension of who you are your personality your creativity kind of coming through and being sort of showcased in the form of your your uh, your appearance um but then we also place a lot of uh, emphasis on our appearance and perhaps we can speak about that in in sort of g course if we get a chance but i guess you know i mentioned obviously uh, when i introduced you about your design having very sort of clean lines um and you know the meaning behind sort of the the seasons that you've created and sort of having quite a timeless wardrobe when we were speaking you were talking about sort of putting together pieces from old uh, or or other seasons and sort of combining them together to create quite a classic look um I guess I'm curious to know sort of how you weaved those concepts together. You mentioned authenticity obviously being very crucial to you um, and sort of living your life with that in mind. But I guess I'm just curious to know how did you incorporate all these different strands of your personality into the design, into something that was more accessible for people you know, across the world, given you had an online presence by this point? Um, it's a very interesting, interesting question. Um, I think a lot of it is subconscious, um, subconscious decision making, not so much conscious decision making. So um, a lot of my design inspiration would come either from a trouble experience or um, an emotion. So a lot, of, actually, all my all my work actually comes from emotions, from what I'm thinking at that point in time and how I'm feeling. And, and then I obviously measure it with what um, the zeitgeist of those times are. So, for example, if you look at, um, not going too much into 2020, but if you look at lockdown, um, there was an overall sentiment where people were obviously feeling lonely or, um, you know, that lack of going out and experiencing life. And um, sometimes it skews to give you actually extra creativity, ironically enough. So it skews in the opposite direction because now you're almost like in isolation and you're like, okay, what really truly brings me joy? And it's going into that sort of um, thinking. So uh, different experiences in my life have given me um, the inspiration for my collection. So the color aspect is always there because I love color and color just always makes me feel good whether it's uh you know gloomy gloomy overcast day or if it's you know for anything and um print i love print and then it's exploring taking it levels even deeper which goes into maybe an exploration of history or culture or any story that i'm trying to tell so i use my collections also to tell um tell a story and stories are what people can actually relate to more than clothing um, because there's a lot of sentiment and emotion there. So even like my latest collection what I showcased um, for spring summer 2021, the collection's name was Who Am I? An Exploration of Identity. So it already tells you a little bit that I went through a little bit of spiritual realization over, over lockdown and I Give, I tell the tale where the designer explores her own self and what it truly means to have an identity, whether it's your environment, your childhood, upbringing, the people you associate, the country you live in, and the culture. And um, for myself, it was a huge exploration into myself because I'm Indian by 
but i'm i'm indian by my race but i'm born south africa i'm fourth generation in south african indian of gujarati heritage so we still practice gujarati um teach the rituals, practices, and culture, but I'm South African. So if I have to go to Mumbai, yes, I could relate to um, people in Mumbai or if I go to Gujarat, but I'm I'm still not the same, you know, uh, so to speak. Um, So my nationality, because there's South African life and culture in me. And it's like, but it was a huge question, like who, who are you truly when you refer to yourself? Are you South African? Because you're not really indigenous African. Mm. And it's the same. And I think a lot of immigrant families um, do face these um, type of like, not, I wouldn't say identity crisis issues, but where you kind of like question, where do I really true, truly fit in? Absolutely. Yes. Um, and the collection, I, um, so I actually did a lot of, actually I took the, first time in my collection, I did a sari and I did three saris. And I also went into um, a structured story. So the first item was a structured cotton shirt. So if you look at a cotton shirt, you would associate it with Western dressing. And um, Western, um, its origins go into um, European um, dressing. And from a cotton shirt, uh, it slowly became a cotton shirt with a pleated skirt, which was one dress. And then slowly from structure, it went to complete fluidity and went to lots of draping, which is the Eastern way of um, uh, dressing oneself, to finally a sari. And um, so from structure to fluidity. And to me, the sari also, um, what makes the sari amazing is that it takes the identity of its wearer. The sari itself is formless. All it is is five and a half meters of um, fabric. That's all what a sari is. Um, but once you, the way you drape it is what gives the sari its form and identity. So, it, yeah. So that was the story collection. So you can see I went very deep into yeah. <laughs> into that. <laughs> yeah. So that they're very um, elegant. Yeah. Beautiful. And I guess the, the joy of dressing is an art, as you've obviously played around mm-hmm. with. And, you know, ultimately, cha- clothes aren't going to necessarily change the world, but it'll be the women who wear them. So if they have this feeling mm-hmm. of empowerment and that fashion will be the armour to sort of survive this everyday reality of life, uh, to sort of feeling good, um, then then that's sort of the story that you're evoking. I think that's that's really beautiful. I mean, you mentioned about uh, sort of drawing inspiration from the emotions that you were feeling or your childhood, etc. Are there any people, uh, perhaps in the industry or otherwise, that you've taken and drawn inspiration from, both perhaps as a child and sort of in your career thus far? Um, I look. There are people in the industry which I look at their work and I really admire admire their work and. Um, um, I draw inspiration for how maybe they, from different people, maybe how they run their businesses or their design thinking. But in the true, I mean, if I have to be honest with you, my inspiration doesn't come so much specifically from one from one individual. A lot of it is either events or travels or just experiencing cultures or um, maybe coming across something that 
really inspired me at that moment in time rather than one one specific um, individual or person. Fine, fine. Um, and so we sort of you mentioned uh, in sort of twenty nineteen you decided to close the um, the boutique that you had in in Joburg and you went online which actually turned out to be a real blessing in disguise um before we sort of talk about sort of the fact that it's actually been quite more it's it's sustainable what you're doing more now but also the clothing line what i just wanted to have you explain to the viewers as you sort of or the listeners as you sort of have alluded to is um we don't have the same sort of department stores as we might call them here in the uk or the big um, you know, we've got a lot of, uh, you know, your H&M's, River Islands, uh, etc. You don't, do you have that? What What's the sort of the, the shopping scene like, if you like, in, in South Africa? Just paint a bit of a picture as to sort of how you would stack up in terms of if people had to get a sense, because you were more on the boutique, like the Ted Baker equivalent. But, but just paint a bit of a picture for us just so we could get a sense of where your business sat. Okay. Yeah. So in South Africa, um, we have like, um, we have all your big fast fashion brands like your H&M and your Zara and a lot of your imported brands. I mean, um, brands, um, US and UK as well as your European. Um, so uh, I think we get a good, uh, good variety in terms of what's available to us, especially our population. Um, we actually are very mall culture driven country, surprisingly. We have a lot of malls, um, in SA. Um, so people love shopping and they love going to malls. <laughs> but, um, in terms of, uh, homegrown South African brands, we don't really have, um, that in the, in the sense like, how in the UK you would have, say, your Ted Baker or, um, you know, those affordable luxury type um, brands. Um, we have independent designers like myself and a few other designers. Uh, I mean, a lot of other, other designers that are building their way in their different target markets. So um, for myself, I would like to be like, um, you know, the next South African um, high-end fashion brand that, you know, that's truly authentically um, from South Africa. Um, so, yeah, we don't have also your Gucci equivalents either. <laughs> so, um, so we don't also have like those ex very high-end luxury um, houses. But, um, you know, hopefully in the future with, um, you know, with the growth and talent that there is, because there's a lot of talented Definitely. people. Um, I think it's just, you know, building it to scaling it up to be luxury, luxury houses. So I think we're still in that growth phase, which is, um, which is also good because it's, um, at, like I said, being a, in a developing country, there's a lot of opportunities to grow within your industry. And actually, yeah. the, the the less perhaps process driven to get to that, you know, if it's sometimes mm -hmm. overly bureaucratic, it can be really hard to just even get something. So it's fantastic that, you know, you were able to create something and give it a go. Uh, and you, you know, you still are. So talk to us, obviously, in 2019, uh, you ended up sort of closing off the shop, um, but you've moved online. Talk to us a bit about that and uh, the sustainability piece um, and, and how your business does run quite sustainably, right from obviously operating online, but also the materials and sort of the manufacturing process. Okay. So yeah, from, from the, from the time I 
um, wanted to create my brand even from the beginning. I always wanted to have a very, um, you know, ethical, transparent um, um, brand processing as well as sustainability, with, which you can see over the last few years is um, it become more and more aware to to the consumer as well. So with us, um, like my my design process, um, I think a lot of my design thinking is also around um, creating contemporary clothing that you're buying almost like investment pieces which you would keep in your wardrobe for years to come rather than buying something that's very trendy and in six to eight months time or even a year's time you're going to be tired of it and um, you don't want to ever see it again so um, um, so I don't follow trends in that sense so to speak I do obviously I'm I have to take cognizance and awareness of what people like and don't like of the current time so that that is definitely there but creating dresses that someone would definitely um, save up for or you know look forward to a special not a special occasion something that they could keep for a long time so promoting slow fashion so that's also when we um, I came up with the concept of selling stories not so much um, selling summer clothes or winter clothes so to speak um, so even with my ranges um, and it works well in South Africa because we're quite fortunate we only really get three three months of um, cold weather and the rest of the year is quite um, we're blessed with good weather <laughs> like um, it's uh, you know so um, a lot of South Africans we have winter clothes but it's um, it's like it's it's only for a very short period of time. I think even people sometimes buy these buy the boots and that more for fashion sake rather than really <laughs> keeping themselves um, warm. But um, so um, as a result of that, um, I've managed to create collections and ranges that can last for seasons also to come. So we tr I try not to label it spring, summer 21. Um, I'll do it for commercial sakes, but it's more uh, in terms of purchasing something that you could wear almost any time. And each collection that um, I create further onto the next range is something that you can build up build up on. So if you are a loyal customer or you're a frequent customer of the brand, if you're buying something new, it's something that you can still add on to your previous or current um, ranges that you do have. So building your wardrobe slowly um, and sustainably also. So that's always been the flow. So slow fashion movement and I've noticed it has worked well because um, when I have sales and that I still see um, customers buying from the previous ranges and collections um, that are still available so um, that that has worked well to see that something that I launched in 2016 is still relevant even till till today and in in sourcing clothing, uh, fabrics and that, uh, we've made sure that the fabrics that we have sourced are from, you know, um, reliable resources and um, trying to use as much natural fabrics as possible. Um, it's still very tricky. And I'll be honest, like, uh, you know, it's easy to say that sustainability label, but buying organic cotton or buying, you know, recycled fabrics, 
is still extremely expensive, especially when you're a small business. So to earn a margin on that is, it's literally, I'm not saying it's impossible, it's doable, but it's extremely challenging compared to a corporate. So um, we still finding ways. I haven't still gotten fabrics where I've used recycled polyester or something, but I've used fabrics where I've used raw jute and made like linen style dresses. So incorporating that and using the whole supply chain of um, making sure that each set part of your su- supply chain is ethical, because I think ethical is also really important, like um, in terms of your manufacturing and that full transparency until the final garment and you know exactly um, the life cycle stage of that garment. Um, we, I print and design all my own all fabrics. So um, every print that you see um, of the address is printed in, I mean, it is designed in-house by us and all our fabrics are digitally printed. So digital printing is one of the uh, most sustainable ways of um, printing in terms of the inks that get used have the least amount of chemicals and wastage. There's no um, there's not a lot of wastage that comes with it. So there's a lot of factors to consider. And I think it's slowly, it's an ongoing process of how much can you improve as you, as you go along. Definitely, yeah. definitely. And thank you for sharing, because, you know, it's certainly not difficult, as you've alluded to, you're not a corporate, you're just a business trying to grow. But obviously the garment industry is one of the most polluting in the world. But some yeah. sort of clothing makers and consumers are calling it to be a more sustainable industry because obviously it's not priced into sometimes what we're paying for, isn't it? So if you've got the receipts and you paid, I don't know, $50 for a T-shirt, let's just say, um, actually the yeah. real cost behind that T-shirt um, actually is probably gone unnoticed and that's the cost of the environment. So um, it, it is obviously becoming greatly important. You know, we're talking a lot more about recycling and this circular economy and um, not fast fashion. Uh, it's sort of becoming, these are sort of seen as bad words now. We need a bit, circular economy is sort of a good word to sort of, we need to be sort of, uh, sort of uh, shifting more in that sort of way. So I guess what I'm curious to know from what you've said is how how do you ensure that you know people in that food in that chain are sort of being paid appropriately they're sort of having good working conditions but then you're still sort of able to sort of translate that into a reasonably sort of affordable price point where you're also just not at a loss because obviously you are there to generate a business and and generate a profit within your business so I mean you mentioned it's not impossible but it, it does sound like you would be really tightly sort of making sure that that's really quite a um a structured chain in order for you to sort of achieve that end goal of actually making a bit of profit at the end no a hundred percent hundred percent it is it is a bit tricky but i think um I think also being a small business allows you the the flexibility and adaptability also mm-hmm. so when you realize that maybe um, the quality of, say, this manufacturer isn't so great. It's easy to move to another one as opposed to when, you, um, when you're a small business. So it's easy to move and easy to research. And, um, and I think it's like if a big corporations who place orders with mass manufacturers in the Far East or wherever they have it, they don't, they're not always there traveling to go and check the factory out. No. So when you're a small business, it's very easy um, not easy, but um, I would say all my 
work is done on a relationship base. It's based on really good relationships with a manufacturer or someone who's um, willing to actually do the work for a small business because, um, some, you know, sometimes doing work for small businesses is also not profitable for mm. uh, manufacturers with the, with the quantities that we um what we require. So I think the um, way that's helped me is actually just on the re- relationship. And when you know who you're dealing with and you go visit them and you just see how they interact with their, with their staff, yes. you um, automatically already know um, that how, be, how yes. things are done there. Yes. It's, 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 yeah, it's, it's like a sixth sense. Yes. It's like when you meet someone, you know, they're a good person or whatever yes. the case may be. Yes, so a lot of that um, has, you know, has helped. And being fortunate to travel um, to places and just to research has also um, has helped um, help me get the knowledge that I've gotten over, you know, this period of time. Like I was fortunate um, in 2019 to be selected um, by the embassy of Sweden in South Africa to uh, attain a fashion revolution seminar and um, conference um, in Sweden where they invited um, delegates from all over the world, from the Far East to the Middle East to as well as Europe and Africa as well. So that was a really interesting and great experience of meeting people from all over the world and the parts they play in the supply chain from the Far East being very manufacture driven to the West, which is the guys that place the orders with the guy. <laughs> place the orders well, with the, the t-shirts. Yes, we're the, we're the heavy users. So I guess it's the uh, the East delivering on what the West uh, ask for. And obviously uh, therein sort of lies quite a controversial topic really about sort of air pollution, the, the quality of life of these workers, uh, the you know, climate change. They sort of say, don't they, that to make one pair of jeans, it can take, 3,781 litres of water, which is enormous. I mean, if you think some of us might have five, ten pairs of jeans in our our wardrobes just sitting there, and if you think about the seven, eight billion people in the world, obviously I appreciate not everyone will have uh, jeans, but but you can very quickly build up a sense of just how much uh, damage we're doing to the environment. so, so talk to us a bit, a bit about the learnings that you had when you were there. So talk, talk, talk to us about, you know, how is the industry sort of changing and moving forward? Yeah. So I think, look, that conference was, um, it was really amazing um, because we, we spent actually a lot of time debating and brainstorming rather than sitting like students in a lecture theatre, just getting lectured about sustainability. It was a lot of interaction, um, you know, brainstorming sessions and um, everyone giving their perspectives from different parts of the world in the, you know, where they play. And it was, it was really interesting because um, you would have almost like the Europeans, um, I mean, without putting too much, you know, um, being too controversial, but um, saying that, you know, the Far East's working conditions are so poor and so bad and et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, and, but then you would have the, there was a gentleman there from Malaysia as well as some 
uh, sustainable representatives from China, saying it's very easy to say that you would want um, a T-shirt to be manufactured for $1, but that's, yeah, so you would only want to pay $1 for manufacturing a T-shirt, or even less, uh, no, actually even less than $1, but, um, and then complain about the work conditions, but how do we drop the costs to meet um, meet demand? And another factor was um, um, what he gave an example. For example, his factory workers work 40 hours a week, whereas in the West, it was, uh, I think, the US, or I can't remember which, um, which country, but they wanted working hours of 35, um, 35 hours a week that would be considered... Um, um, good working conditions and his answer was then how do you expect us to produce the volumes that you require at a certain level at price if you now also so there's a clash in a, it's a complete contradiction of one minute complaining about working conditions but at the same time you're also um, fighting with them regarding on how much you are willing to pay for your manufactured um garment. So um, it it brought a lot of light into the discussions. And um, it's also now making the consumer aware that when you're buying a t-shirt, how much effort has gone into that simple t-shirt being made from the time the cotton is grown to the time it becomes yarn and the amount of water that gets, like you said, for denim jeans, the same, well, not the same quantity, but same wastage that would go into a cotton t-shirt only for someone then to maybe pay, I don't know, like 10 pounds for that t-shirt or whatever, um, so to speak. Um, so it was, it was really great having those discussions and insight and, seeing how circular design can be um, created in this economy and creating almost a new, um, a new economy from, from source to, to the end of the life cycle or Absolutely. continued life cycle. Absolutely, because you know, they say, don't they, that every year the fashion industry uses 93 billion cubic meters of water, which is enough to meet the consumption of 5 million people. Around 20% of this wastewater worldwide comes from fabrics being dyed and the treatment of them. And really, the fashion industry is amongst the top in terms of it's responsible for 10% of the annual global carbon emissions, which is more than international flights and maritime shipping combined. So obviously the the pace that the fashion industry is creating these sort of greenhouse gas emissions is sort of increasing with, with um, I guess, this fast fashion uh, sort of mindset, this sort of capitalist sort of way, we want more, we want more, we want it at less. Do you think that maybe fast fashion is on its way out now? Do you think now that obviously with COVID have, have, having happened and a real sort of focus on uh, the environment and climate change and greenhouse gases that we're going to go back to a more uh, sort of recycling, sort of circular economy model where we're not going to be putting sort of such strict quotas on um, businesses in Asia to produce at one dollar or less than and that the the quantity with which we will need them will reduce now that now that things seem to be taking a different trajectory uh, yeah definitely I think it's um, it will be, it's more it will be a mindset change which I think you know, which is already, it's, you can see there's a mindset change completely. Um, 
I don't even, don't even think it's only COVID. I think if you look at the next generation, like we, I'm a millennial, but if you see even the generation Gen Z and the next generations care far more about the environment than what yes. I know I do. And, you know, like, and compared to even my parents, but um, although Indians, I think we're always, I know I'm a bit funny, we're always sustainable because, you know, Indians we can always find hundred uses for something before they throw things away. Yes. yes. <laughs> Like so that plastic container will get used ten yes. times before <laughs> it gets thrown away. But um jokes aside though, um I, I definitely I do think there's it'll definite there's a definite shift and it's a shift in change in thinking. And, um, you know, when I was in Sweden, I was so amazed um, by how I was in this town, which is called Boros. And I think the population of Boros is like only about 10 or 20,000 people. So tiny town, but such an advanced, um, advanced city in the sense of how they love circular design. So I was amazed when you actually see it being loved, it becomes more believable. Um, so, I mean, also coming from South Africa, so I think maybe my thinking still a little, not primitive, but less exposed. So, you know, and yeah, so, I mean, just experiencing how, you know, how other countries or that live already are living in a circular design concept or way. It's like when I was in Sweden, um, I was truly amazed by this concept where they take waste, all your waste, and they convert it into energy, which then becomes fuel and energy, uh, fuel, fuel and electricity to power up, um, power up the city. And you can see it's already in the culture and the, of the community of um, caring for the environment. It's not that something they need to um, consciously now think about. It's almost like second nature to them of how they um, how they treat their cities or their thinking. It was, um, you know, in South Africa, yes, we do have, we are moving in that direction. Like if I would go to a coffee shop, uh, you know, take my own mug. So in, rather than using a plastic cup or, you know, like plastic straws, but I could see already in Sweden and um, is that it was already loved by, by a norm that even if you would ask for a paper cup, you looked like a terrible human being yes. that you never came there with, <laughs> with your own mug or something when you were buying coffee, like what, what kind of person are you? So you could already see now there was that, that shift completely, that flip side to it. So I definitely do see it moving in that direction, but I think it still needs to, it almost needs to become into segregated, not segregated, but almost ingrained into our cultural way of thinking. And it definitely can be done because when I actually realized that nylon was only really invented, um, which is now polyester, which we use was in the 19, um, like it became commercialized only truly in the 1960s or 1950s, which you actually think about it was not too long ago. Prior to that, people were sewing and making their own clothes and there was sustainability. So it's only in the last few years that we've gone, you know, increasingly um, crazy with terms of mass production and change that's required to, you know, um, 
So I think definitely there's a there's a format that there's we can definitely change. For myself personally, though, um, this is my own personal opinion, which I think can be a challenge. People still want something new. Mm. Um, I speak for myself, and I'm not saying you need something new every three months, but um, we, if we're already accustomed to it, and if it's if it's not if it's in technology, you know, a new your new mobile phone which is coming out every year, or a new car, a new whatever, um, how is it that people are not going to want new clothes? So you need we need to figure out that way that we still make new clothes, but how are we making new clothes that fall in the circular design economy, which will be a challenge, but I think it's definitely it's definitely doable. Mm. It's doable. Yeah. Well that is yeah. a very fascinating point actually, and I've not I've not thought about that before, but I guess you're right, thinking it through, my thought would be, you know, I guess a mobile phone or a car is going to be at a different price point. It's like we don't buy a new house every season, but we would want to buy a new uh, dress or a top or pair of jeans or whatever. And do you think maybe it's that almost drug-like effect? It gives you that little hit of, I've sort of treated myself or, you know, I've upgraded my wardrobe for X event, obviously back when events would happen and we could go out and, and sort of get dressed and go to them. It's like, I've got a party, I'm going to go out and buy a dress um but you know I don't want someone to see me in the same outfit that they might have already seen me you know you know as women we, we think about that don't we even more so maybe maybe guys do too I don't know but but certainly 100 percent. and now with Instagram and social media it's yes. even worse because you're like oh I posted I was at that wedding and now I posted that picture on Instagram so everyone knows I want that dress so it's not just the people that attended uh, when I was with the event now now we're everyone on social media can see yeah. but maybe we need so. to I guess strip it back to maybe your ultimate point of just being authentic and actually it's okay I mean I, I, I love I adore fashion as I sort of said at the outset I'm stunned mm-hmm. it's taken me as long to sort of put a, a podcast on fashion frankly but but um yeah, I, I don't. I want. I do think my partly my shopping habits have changed, and maybe that's partly in reflection to largely the shops having been shut this last year um, and us not going anywhere. But I do wonder if people, you know, again, as you grow in your knowledge about what it does to the environment and this circular economy, and actually we've got plentiful things uh, in our wardrobes. Can we just make do? I wonder if that that will naturally shift, but but it is it is a big question i don't know how globally we can stop the marketing such that people feel that compulsion or less of a compulsion to go out and just spend a couple of frivolous pounds dollars whatever it might be yeah um i think it'll create almost maybe a new economy mm. so to speak or new not a new economy uh, pardon me but more a new industry so maybe there would be a new industry now of designers that take what you have and redesign it in a new new way so um there's opportunities for maybe a new industry or um taking what you currently have and how do you reuse that fabric in a in a different way so you are still getting something new there's a new industry created but perhaps um the fabric is not damaging and polluting Mm. to the environment so to speak because yeah I, I can have lengthy long discussions about this because even cotton itself is not really that sustainable no. it's sustainable in being a biodegradable and new fab uh, a fabric that in that sense it doesn't damage the environment 
it's actually unsustainable in the that's why sustainability is such a broad subject mm. is that it doesn't last long um cotton doesn't last long you, you cannot pass a cotton shirt on onto your grandchildren yeah. unless you only maybe wear it a few times yes. or whatever the case may be yes. um so there's that aspect where that cotton will eventually disintegrate and you know it won't be wearable so it's i think so that's where the complexities to come in is how do we reuse what we have and make the best of what we have and also with least damage and waste to the environment so to speak Thank yeah. you. and so my very last question just because i'm really curious to know so you're right that cotton is it's sustainable on one side but it's such a broad sort of title and spectrum what would you say are the best materials are there such such a thing what if we're if we're shopping and want to have timeless pieces that will sort of last and have some longevity to them what can men and women be trying their best to buy so that they've got that for the years to come okay um to be honest i i still don't have the best answer because i know other sustainability experts say differently to what i say and you know there's a lot of like still debates yeah and i think anyone who hear, also hears what i have to say may not even may not even agree with me completely which is also okay um i do still think cotton is a good fabric to buy just because it's breathable it's natural and um if it is going to get tossed in in the trash or whatever it is going to eventually become part of the earth um you know biodegradable yes. um wool also wool is a great um great natural fabric because it lasts it's such a long lasting fabric uh, you know if you have a wool jersey you, you can a really good wool jersey can take you as long as you can re- as as far as you can go um there's also the other aspect that you are using animal um you know you are shearing a sheep to um to get the wool so there's that you know that that aspect on it on you know with with this you know cruelty to animals so to speak or using animal um for but um so i would say is yeah try and opt for natural um natural fabrics when you're shopping and i see nowadays it's most people are giving the sources so like organic cottons yes. or where the where it's been sustainably sourced or um there's been a least amount of wastage and water so to speak has been used polyester is also polyester itself is not bad the problem is because polyester is actually very long lasting it's um far more long lasting than than cotton, cotton yeah. because it's a man-made fiber and fabric and um they actually did an experiment i saw um with uh in england where they buried wool and they buried um polyester uh, it was with prince charles actually um he was part of it which was with the wool mark and i think like 10 years later they came to that same spot or something and um when they opened up the soil um where the wool was buried was completely disintegrated and part of the earth and when they opened up the section where um the polyester was buried it looked exactly the exactly oh, the same that's fascinating so yeah so to show um you know um it was all about showing how good wool is but um so in that sense yeah polyester doesn't um can't biodegrade but if you use it practically and well 
maybe if you recycle polyester or take that same polyester fabric and now using it for something else and it's maybe going to last for another few decades because you found some other usage for it or so to speak then then you're actually using polyester in a positive light so i think i think it's not so much making the bad fabrics and the good fabrics and like you know having it polarized to say black and white this is good and this is bad mm. but how do we take whatever we have and use it in the best way um possible to get a, a positive um you know outcome from it yes. and i think when we have that kind of thinking um then there's no good or bad that, yes i yeah. think that's a really valuable point and, and perhaps one to end on actually that that uh, we're so used to just labelling just as a means, but uh, it sounds like it's a bit more nuanced and complicated and it's the use that you intend to use it for. See, I was thinking you might say silk would be a really good uh, material to, to use or linen. Um, oh, you know it is. It is. I love silk and I love Well, linen. absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Particularly for silk. Indian clothes. I love silk and I love linen, but yeah, you know, it's, uh, it, yeah, there's those other factors that go with silk and... Um, um, with linen. Linen is very good. Um, even, um, what's it, even Kadi from India, the, the, the raw cotton that's been used and it uses the least amount of water to, oh. um, in terms of producing the yarn. So, it's, so that's also very good fabric, but I don't think you find it so much in, um, in Western clothing no, or stores. No, not that or, I'm familiar with, but it's yeah, probably to also tap, sort of take account of the heat and the sort of climate that they have there as well, isn't it? So lots of factors, yeah. lots of factors. Uh, Ekta, you know, this has been so, so interesting. I'm I'm, uh, I'm sad to sort of say, I think we should probably uh, uh, sort of end, end the fascinating discussion. I think we've spoken about so many different topics so thank you for coming uh on on and sharing your story and your knowledge and it's you know really fantastic that you had the courage to set this business up and you know we wish you well on on the online journey uh, i will post uh, a link so if people are interested and would like to find out more about you and your brand but do you want to just sort of mention where people can find your brand if they have um the interest to check out more and uh, they've been interested by what they've heard this uh this on this podcast Okay, awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Roshni, for having me on your show. It's been an absolute honor and it's been so much fun chatting, um, you know, about what I do and um, having this whole discussion on sustainability. Like you said, I think we could have a whole separate podcast completely on, on sustainability alone. Um, but um, that being said, thank you so much. And yeah, for all the viewers that have been listening to um listening to our chat um, you can find me on instagram so my instagram is um ekta e-k-t-a underscore official and i'm on facebook as well and then my website is ekta um www dot ekta e-k-t-a dot c-o dot z-a so that's that's my website and yeah feel free even if you have any questions after this podcast i'm extremely approachable so if anything you want to ask or any questions you have just send me a dm on my um, instagram account or you can send a message through my website and i will definitely respond to you Wonderful. thank you so much oh and we here's my little sales 
Uh, we do uh, we do um, Korea to the rest of the world. So if Wonderful. Does like well, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, please, it's nice we do use we use DHL as our partner, so you it it's uh, in safe hands in terms of when it does get couriered. And yeah, we've had had customers um, abroad in the US and um, Europe purchasing from us. So yeah, that's my last sales. No, speech. no, please. Well, thank you, everyone. You know, and thank you for coming on. Thank you, everyone. For, for listening uh, we hope it's been a, a thought-provoking and interesting conversation and as I normally as I normally like to end uh, on a quote I'm gonna give a nice quote by Donatella Versace and that is that fashion is about dreaming and making other people dream so I hope that this has provided a bit of inspiration to you all and keeping uh, keeping that momentum and, and uh, conscious community going so uh, it just leaves me to say Wish you all well, keep safe, keep happy, and uh, we'll speak to you very soon. Take care. God bless. Bye now.